Is the church the bride of Christ? Can we be both the body and the bride of Christ? Has God been symbolically married in the past? And from where did the notion of the church being the bride of Christ arise? I will answer these questions in this video podcast. Greetings, I'm Dr. Paul Felter. Welcome to my video podcast where I expose church fallacies and flawed Christian traditions with Bible truth. We let the Bible speak for itself. For my entire Christian experience, I've been taught, as you probably were too, that we, the church, the body of Christ, are also the bride of Christ. Preachers and teachers refer to the church as the bride of Christ dogmatically, as a pillar of our Christian faith. I never seriously questioned that doctrine, even though I could find no scripture passages from our Apostle Paul calling us the bride of Christ. In fact, the phrase bride of Christ is nowhere in the King James Bible. So let's look at the passages used to support the idea that we, the body of Christ, are also the bride of Christ. Remember, the Bible is our source of truth, not the teachings of men nor church tradition. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Now a couple of points here. Number one, Paul asked believers to bear with him in his folly. So Paul is not championing church doctrine in this passage. Number two, does Paul have the authority to espouse anyone to Jesus Christ as a bride? I think not. Jesus is perfectly capable of picking his own bride if necessary. He does not need the Apostle Paul's help. Number three, Paul is using the espousal example as a metaphor of our spiritual relationship to Jesus. He wants to present the believers at Corinth as pure and faithful, just as a virgin bride to a husband. He uses a simile, the word as, to compare the church to a chaste virgin. That certainly was folly on Paul's part, as the church at Corinth was anything but a chaste virgin. The modern church of today is no better, being consumed by political correctness, erroneous denominational dogma, and false gospels. Paul's expressing his desire for a pure and holy church, worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not playing matchmaker for the Son of God. Also, the Apostle Paul never uses the word bride referring to the church or bridegroom referring to Jesus. Paul uses the word wife many times, but always in reference to family or personal matters. Again, the phrase bride of Christ is nowhere to be found in your King James Bible. Very interesting. Surely, if the church were the bride of Christ, the Apostle Paul would have definitely proclaimed that glorious relationship somewhere in his writings, don't you think? Some try to make the case that the church is the bride of Christ from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Paul again uses a simile here, the word as, comparing the husband as the head of the wife, as he, Christ, is the head of the church. This passage is about headship, not marriage. Jesus is the head of the body. He is the Savior of the body. We are his body, the body of Christ, not the bride. Israel is his bride. And I will show you this truth from Scripture momentarily. So here are two passages proclaiming the church as the body of Christ. Now we are the body of Christ and members in particular. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Again, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.12 Paul declares us the body of Christ. But can the body also be the bride, as many suppose? Can Jesus the bridegroom marry his own body? I think not. Let's look at some New Testament passages about Jesus as the bridegroom. Matthew 9.15 And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. Here Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. The children are the Jews, Israel, as that is the context in whom Jesus came to minister. There was coming a day when Jesus the bridegroom would be taken away first by the Jews and Romans for crucifixion, and later by the Father back to heaven to be seated at his right hand. John chapter 3, verse 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. This passage is John the Baptist calling Jesus the bridegroom and having the bride. Since the church did not exist at that time, the only candidate for the bride was Israel. Jesus confirmed that in Matthew 15 verse 24 by stating the intended audience of his earthly ministry. I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Apostle Paul confirms the ministry of Jesus Christ in Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. The circumcision was Israel. Jesus came as the Messiah of Israel, therefore the bride referred to by John the Baptist in John 3:29 can only be Israel. John the Baptist, the friend of the bridegroom, stands and rejoices upon hearing the voice of the bridegroom, Jesus. Jesus the bridegroom has the bride, Israel. The setting of the verse is clearly the ministry of Jesus Christ prior to the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, our Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus, as recorded in Acts chapter 9 which begins the dispensation of grace. For centuries, Christians have been told that they are the bride of Christ, even though the term bride of Christ is not in the King James Bible. However, we do find two passages about the Lamb's wife. We know the Lamb is Jesus, so who might his wife be? 
Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. At some future point, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, will be married. But who is the wife, the church or Israel? Remember, the context of Revelation chapter 19 is Jesus' return at the end of the seven-year tribulation to save Israel. The rapture of the church occurred seven years earlier, just prior to the beginning of the tribulation. If the church were the bride, then why did the marriage not happen shortly after the rapture? Interesting that just four verses later in Revelation 19.11, the Lord leaves heaven on a white horse and comes to earth to rescue and redeem Israel. Perhaps he is going to rescue the true bride, Israel. Here's another passage mentioning the bride, the Lamb's wife. Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit, to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The woman in this marriage is referred to as the wife and the bride. Surely, if the church were to be presented to Jesus Christ as a chaste virgin, we would hardly be called the wife. Could this marriage in heaven be a remarriage to a previously divorced wife? The house of Israel was given a bill of divorce by God. Is she getting remarried after her redemption at the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation? I think so. The book of Hosea confirms the marriage, divorce, and remarriage of Israel to the Lord. Number one, the setting is shortly after Solomon's death and the split of Israel into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Number two, the Lord commands Hosea the prophet to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. Number three, Hosea is a type of God and Gomer is a type of Israel fallen into idolatry depicted by Gomer's promiscuous lifestyle as Israel's spiritual fornication with false gods. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. Number four, during their marriage, Gomer continues her immoral trysts, even though Hosea loves her dearly. Hosea 2 verse 5. Number 5. Hosea divorces Gomer. She is no longer his wife. Hosea 2 verse 2. Number 6. But Gomer returns to Hosea, for life was prosperous with him. Hosea 2 verse 7. Number 7. Hosea remarries Gomer a type of the Lord remarrying Israel in the following verses. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19, 20, and 23. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. And I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, 
and I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Hosea represents a clear image of God's relationship with Israel over the millennia. Israel is currently in a state of divorce and has been for almost 2,000 years. Soon they must endure their final judgment, the seven-year tribulation, the most horrific time to ever befall planet Earth. Then the Lord Jesus Christ will save and redeem a remnant of Israel as they are still God's chosen people. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. That's pretty clear, I think. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. Israel is God's chosen people as these passages proclaim. But some Christians would have you believe that the church has replaced Israel, and these verses now pertain to us. But what saith the scripture? For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Romans 11.29 God is faithful and true. He does not renege on his promises and covenants. He will restore and remarry Israel, fulfilling his word. Jeremiah proclaims exactly that in chapter 31 of his writing. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. At the beginning of the millennial kingdom, Jesus will make a new covenant, a new marriage contract with the whole house of Israel. That is the marriage of the Lamb, written in Revelation chapter 19. Remember, there's only one God. There is not a God of the Old Testament and a God, Jesus Christ, of the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the God of the Old and New Testaments. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John expresses this well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him not anything made that was made. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. The entire human experiment from the Garden of Eden to the new heaven and the new earth was directed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the Lord Jesus Christ, because he and he alone agreed to redeem mankind by shedding his blood for the sin of man. However, to the disdain of many Christians, he chose Israel as his people. Israel will forever be his one and only bride. I say all that to help you separate the truth of Scripture 
from the bogus teachings of men and erroneous church tradition. Now let's get back to the text and the New Jerusalem. The angel in Revelation chapter 21 shows John the New Jerusalem descending out of heaven to earth. Remember, the angel referred to the New Jerusalem as the Lamb's wife. The New Jerusalem has 12 gates for the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 foundations for Jesus' 12 apostles. Matthias replaced Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is not numbered with the 12 as he was the lone apostle to the Gentiles. Clearly, the New Jerusalem and the New Earth will be the home of Israel, the Jews. The New Jerusalem descends to the New Earth as this present earth is destroyed after the Millennial Kingdom of Christ. The earthly kingdom of Israel will resume once the New Earth and the New Jerusalem arrive. When reviewing these passages, it is clear to me that everything is Jewish. I do not see any reference to the body of Christ. But Revelation 21 speaks of a new heaven also. That is the eternal abode of the church, the body of Christ, as you will soon see. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. The permanent abode of the body of Christ is in heavenly places. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. While Israel gets a new earth and a new Jerusalem, we, the body of Christ, get a new heaven. We, the body of Christ, will rule and reign with Jesus, administering the heavens, while Israel rules and reigns with Jesus on earth in their promised kingdom. Let's regress for a moment and answer the question, Hath God ever been married? Has he ever been someone's husband? Isaiah and Jeremiah answer the question. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Isaiah tells us that the Lord of hosts, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, is the husband of Israel. Without question, the subject of this verse is the one true God, and the object is Israel. God is the husband of Israel. Jeremiah repeats the declaration. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you, one of a city, and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Here the Lord is telling the backsliding children of Israel that he is married to them. The Lord is married to Israel. Again, in Jeremiah, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 31, 32. 
Here again, there is no doubt that the Lord God is the husband of Israel. Notice these verses are declarations, not metaphors or similes. Isaiah and Jeremiah are not using the concept of a husband as an allegory or type, but a pronouncement. I have heard some misguided pastors and teachers state that Israel is the father's wife and the church is the wife of the son, Jesus. What rubbish. There is only one God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. One triune God expressing himself to mankind via three personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If the Father has a wife, then she is the wife of God, as there is only one God. If the Son has a wife, then that wife is the wife of God, as there is only one God. So the wife of God in the Old Testament, Israel, is the one and only wife for the entire Bible. The wife of the Father is the wife of the Son and the wife of the Holy Spirit. One God, one wife. So the idea that God has two wives, one for the Father and another for the Son, is preposterous. He has only one wife, Israel. Jesus is an Israelite. His chosen people are Israel. He came to save Gentiles, but he can only marry Israel. But something with Israel goes wrong, as Jeremiah writes. Jeremiah 3, verse 8, And I saw, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Here the Lord God gives Israel and Judah a bill of divorce for adultery, spiritual fornication with idols and false gods. One can only give a bill of divorce to one's spouse, right? This presents an interesting situation. As long as Israel lives, God cannot marry another, as that would be adultery. God has made promises and prophecies pertaining to Israel and their restored kingdom. So the Lord God, by Jewish law, must remarry Israel to be faithful and true to his word and his holy name. That is exactly what Jesus does upon his return. 1. Jesus saves and redeems his chosen people Israel. 2. He raises the Old Testament saints from the dead to enter the kingdom. 3. He establishes the promised kingdom to Israel. 4. He brings peace and prosperity to Israel and the world. 5. He establishes Israel as the head of the nations. 6. Jesus, through Israel, rules and reigns for a thousand years. I am looking forward to attending the marriage supper of the Lamb as a guest to congratulate both bridegroom and bride on their glorious reunion. What a wonderfully magnificent day that will be. Spectacular beyond words. Okay, the last question. From where did the notion of the church being the bride of Christ arise? Well, the root cause of this error is the same as for many other errors in traditional church doctrine. Replacement theology. In a nutshell, replacement theology is the belief that God is through with Israel and has replaced Israel with the church. The church has now inherited all the blessings and promises once meant for Israel. Promises like the millennial kingdom, ruling and reigning with Jesus in the kingdom, being married to the Lord Jesus Christ at his return, 
and being born again, just to mention a few. However, these are all erroneous church traditions handed down over the centuries from the Church of Rome. Replacement theology began with Origen in the 3rd century AD and was later institutionalized as dogma in the Church of Rome by Augustine of Hippo in the early 5th century. It is easy to see how he came to the conclusion that God was through with Israel, since Israel was scattered and the temple destroyed over 300 years prior. The problem arose because Augustine based his conclusions on his personal observations, not scripture. Since the Church of Rome and the Roman Empire were united then, Augustine was a servant of Caesar and the Pope. Since they signed his paycheck, so to speak, Augustine proclaimed the glories of Rome, not God's promise to restore and redeem Israel. Much of replacement theology's erroneous doctrines survived the Protestant Reformation, becoming Protestant church tradition and doctrine. Even today, denominations like the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ, the United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, and the World Council of Churches believe God is through with Israel and support the BDS movement, boycott, divest, and sanction against Israel. Replacement theology is an ungodly, blasphemous doctrine that robs Israel of their divine destiny and diverts the body of Christ from achieving its God-ordained purpose in preaching the glorious gospel of grace. Many in the church today are more concerned about the kingdom than the gospel. A kingdom, by the way, that rightfully belongs to Israel, not the church. Israel is the true bride of Christ. That marriage will be consummated after Jesus' second coming when he inaugurates the millennial kingdom and the new covenant with the house of Israel. You and I might be guests or spectators at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but we are not the bride. Israel is. Well, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And to you, a hearty God bless. See you next time.